Well, amen, right? It is so good to see you. I am uh, like so tired of giving the talk to empty seats. And so I've, I've figured out how to look at red dots and figure out who I'm supposed to be, but I have no idea. And I'm really thankful uh, that you are here. And I'm really grateful that God has brought us for such a time as this to where we are in our get real study in James. Um, I've spent the better part of the week wrestling with what, what I'm supposed to say. We are uh, living in unprecedented times, at least in my lifetime. And there is um, chaos and disorder, profound confusion. There's a lack of access to, to justice and liberty for all. It's crazy. And so I've been working through what I'm supposed to say. And a verse came to my mind from the book of Ecclesiastes. It said, let your words be few. Because here, here's what I'm convinced of. We, we don't need more people like me speaking into the situation. We need God to speak into the situation. And we need God's people to respond to what God says. And so today, as we're, we're going to be reading from James chapter 3, I think what you're going to discover is uh, that God gave a good word for his church, for us to listen to and apply what it says. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started on our study today. And we're, we're going to trust that God, as we humbly, submissively sit before his word, uh, has something to say. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have called us together, that you have entrusted to us light and hope and peace. And Lord, as we study your word today, I pray that by your spirit we would be resolved as the body of Christ to be a part of a solution, to be conduits of peace in the midst of incredible chaos. Lord, so we, your church, today ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word and give us the courage to live aligned to your light. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, where, where do you turn for information? Where do, where do you get your information? When I, when I was young, we turned to, literally, turned to encyclopedias, right? And it, the only bookshelf in my home was filled with encyclopedias. But we don't do, or at least most of us don't do that today, right? Today, we turn to Siri or Alexa, if, if, and if you are worried about Big Brother, then you just go to Wikipedia or Google. But all the information we need is available to us at the sound of our voice 
or at our fingertips. It's where we turn for information. Where do we turn for know-how? If there's a task that needs your attention and you, you aren't sure about how to do it, we turn to YouTube, right? Yes, we all turn to YouTube. You, you can literally learn to do anything on YouTube, whether it's replacing a brake light, potty training a pet, tying a knot. Someone has uploaded an instructional video about how to get it done on YouTube. So, with Google, we get the facts. With YouTube, we get the directions. But listen, knowledge and know-how does not guarantee that our lives will be a success. If it did, everyone who has the internet could be a success, could live with meaning and significance. Knowledge and know-how are just two legs on the three-legged stool of significance, of success. And by the way, I wasn't sure if you were supposed to say three-legged or three-legged. So, I went to Google and said, how do you pronounce? Sent me to a video on YouTube, and it's three-legged, in case you're wondering. Anyway, what's missing? We have knowledge. We have know-how. The third leg of that stool is wisdom. It's a subject that James has been keen to address throughout his letter to these New Testament believers who were persecuted. As a matter of fact, he's already told us where wisdom comes from. Do you remember that? In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, here's what the scripture says. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. What does James say? The bottom line is wisdom comes from God. And like towels at a hotel, it's always available. All you have to do is ask. And it's going to be delivered to you. Wisdom will be delivered to you with pleasure if, if you faithfully apply it. If you faithfully apply it. But we have to ask. Now, this is an important aspect of understanding what James is saying. What is wisdom? Okay, the word he uses there for wisdom is the Greek word Sophia, which was widely used in a secular context in that time. And it means skill, tact, aptitude, or expertise in an area. In the secular world, wisdom is skill, tact, aptitude, or expertise in an area. So strictly speaking, you can have Sophia or, or wisdom for just about anything. You can be wise for fishing, gardening, plumbing, gaming, or marketing. And you can put a video on YouTube and demonstrate that you are an expert 
But the way James uses the word throughout the book, as a matter of fact, the way God uses the word wisdom all throughout the Bible elevates it above just practical experience and expertise. It elevates it to more. It doesn't just come from training or from life experiences, from trial and error. This wisdom comes from God. And listen, it gives us expertise in the God life. Wisdom provides for us expertise in the God life. So listen, James would define it. God defines it in Scripture as this. This is wisdom. It is skill for life granted by God that reveals the character of God. It is skills for life granted by God that when applied reveals the character of God. Now, as we get to chapter 3, which is where we're going to focus today, James actually circles back to this topic of godly wisdom because he wants to be sure that we understand that godly wisdom is completely different from earthly wisdom. Godly wisdom is completely different from earthly wisdom. So turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse 13. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. He asks the question, Who is wise and understanding among you? He literally says, look around the room and identify the wise. Then he says, Here's the way you can tell. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But, but, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such quote-unquote wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit and good fruit impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness here's what James is doing he is describing godly wisdom in full bloom and then he juxtaposes it against the wisdom of the world And, and he does so in keeping with the entire theme of the book he says listen Get real. Wisdom is like faith. It must be shown. You've only got it if you show it. That's why they can look around the room and identify who is wise among them. Look look back at James chapter 3 verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them say it. Show it by their good life. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. 
Who has it? Who has it? Only the people who show it. See, God's wisdom, it always shows up and it always shows. Now, the word for show there is really interesting. It literally means to display for sale. Okay? The word show literally means to display for sale. The idea is that if you have wisdom, it should be on display. Then we can all figure out if we're buying it or not. Now, we have to be careful here because it does not mean that you exercise your wisdom for showmanship. It's not about you. It's on display so that it can be validated as the real thing and we can determine if that wisdom is worthy of emulation. Now, here's what I want you to think about. All right, think about the, the produce department at the grocery store. All right, so just can you go there in your mind, all that beautiful fruit? You walk in, and all of their fruit is on display for the whole world to see, and for what? To examine for quality, right? Why? Because they understand that good fruit is enticing. Like, you can't resist it. You're going to buy it. And they also understand that people are only going to buy fruit after close inspection. Now, even though it is inspected before being put on display, we, we want to check it for ourselves, right? That's just, that's just what we do. We thump watermelon, we squeeze cantaloupe, we examine apples thoroughly. Even though, by the way, every apple in a bag has been bagged and inspected prior to it showing up on display. Do you know what's written, by the way, on the bags of apples in the grocery store? Here, here's what it says. I love this. Meets or extent, it, excuse me, I'll figure it out. It meets or exceeds U.S. extra fancy. That's what's stamped on the bag. Meets or exceeds U.S. extra fancy. That means there is a standard that at one point every apple in that bag met. And that standard was extra fancy. And, and that's a good place to start, right? We appreciate the fact that they've got to start on it. But the question is not for us. It is not, does it meet their standard? The question is, do those apples meet my standard? So what do we do? We grab the bag, we inspect every apple for ourselves, we look for cuts and bruises, we examine to see if they're soft, even though we know at one point they met the extra standard fancy of the FDA. Ex extra fancy standard of the FDA. But if they don't pass my inspection, show themselves company worthy, then that bag's going to be eliminated, right? This is, this is exactly what God is teaching us about wisdom here. Before you buy it, you need to examine it to see if it meets not your standards, but His standards. And His standards are clear. 
What that means is the fruit of wisdom is revealing the character of God. And that is easy to see. See, James says there's earthly wisdom and there's heavenly wisdom. Both get bagged and labeled as extra fancy, but only one is truly divine. And in verse 13, he tells us that heavenly wisdom is marked by two characteristics. See if you can identify them as I read. James 3.13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. What are the two characteristics? It's the good life and deeds done in humility. So what God is revealing here is you prove his wisdom by your good life. So we just need to ask the question, are we proving his wisdom by our good life. People with wisdom are labeled good, right? Like she's, a, she's just a good person. He, he's just a good dude. Th- those people are noble. They're pleasant. They're refreshingly flexible. The good life, listen, it plays well with others. It lives in bounds and in balance. I remember when when my boys were young and we first moved here, we moved in uh, next door to a family who had a little girl that was about the age of one of my boys. And when when they would go outside in the yard and, and play football, she always insisted on coming over and playing with them. But... The, the truth is, one of my guys just did not like to play with her at all. And he would always come in in a huff. And so one day I sat him down and said, look, I, I need you. What, what's the deal? Tell me the problem. And he, he said, and I quote, she doesn't play in balance. And I said, you mean she doesn't play in bounds? She, she runs out of bounds? And he said, yes, but I like to say in balance. So listen, whichever word you choose, it communicates. She wasn't good to play with because she took the ball, went haywire, running everywhere crazy and messing up the game because she played out of balance and out of bounds. She was no fun at all. The good life is neither out of balance or out of bounds. It plays well with others. It is lived in wisdom. The second characteristic of God's wisdom is deeds done in humility. First of all, it is assumed that wisdom works. I mean, get real. That's James' message, right? God's wisdom in humility doesn't serve to be celebrated. Okay? It doesn't serve to be celebrated. It doesn't serve to be seen. It doesn't do its deeds to get an advantage, but to be a blessing. 
Listen, when deeds are done in humility, the motivation for doing them comes from the desire to honor God and the credit, once the deed is done, always goes to God. That, is, that means a deed done in humility. The humility of wisdom keeps God in the center of our world and Him on a pedestal. Now, you juxtapose those two primary characteristics of wisdom. Good life and deeds done in humility. With the two primary characteristics of earthly wisdom. They're revealed in verse 14. See if you can spot them. James 3, 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not boast about it or deny the truth. What are the two characteristics of worldly wisdom? Bitter envy and selfish ambition. What, what is bitter envy? The, the word envy there comes from the Greek word for zeal. Okay, it, it, in, in this context, envy, bitter envy means a zealous, listen, I love this definition. It is a zealous passion to make war upon the good in others. It is a zealous passion to make war upon the good in others. It, it's, it's holding grudges. It's harboring resentment. Bitter envy rises up when you are threatened by another person's good fortune. Bitter envy rises up when you are threatened by another person's good fortune. It's not godly wisdom because it's really a sign of arrogance and insecurity. It, it looks like wisdom going in because it fuels us to strive to get ahead. But it in no way demonstrates the characteristic or the character of God. And therefore that wisdom is earthly. It is worldly wisdom. The second characteristic of worldly wisdom is selfish ambition. This, is, this selfish ambition is an inordinate eagerness to seek gain or to vie for power and prestige. In, in context, in that world, it represented a mercenary motive of self-interest and was typically used to describe someone who sought public office not to serve, but because the office was public. Okay, It would put them in the limelight. It was those who asked not, what can I do for my community, but what will my community do for me? Selfish ambition, listen, every time, sees people as tools or as obstacles to be overcome, maybe even to be eliminated. Everybody can be used for my benefit. That's selfish ambition. And this, this person is driven to be the, the fanciest, most important apple in the bag. 
Selfish ambition is generally a competitive notion that elevates the person who has it and denigrates any natural rivalries, but it is ungodly because it rots all the other apples in the bag. The world says, hey, wait a minute. These are, these are actually, they can be really good things. They're, they're motivators. They are actually virtues because they help us keep score. We register threats. We leverage paranoia and ultimately crush the competition if we're living with envy and ambition. But James says, hold the fort. When this wisdom is on display, what we find is the stench of darkness. When that wisdom is on display, the fruit is rotten. Look at verses 15 and 16. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual. It's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You know what we find in the world that we're living in? Disorder, chaos, despicably evil practices that deny the dignity of people who were created in, in the image of God. But that's the way it has to be because this, no. That's worldly wisdom. And it should never be on display in the body of Christ. These characteristics of worldly wisdom are unspiritual. They are rooted in evil. And where you find them, you find the rotten fruit of disorder and the practice of evil. What does disorder mean? It is chaos. It is unsettled and unsettling disturbance. Not only is the person out of balance, but he or she puts those around them out of balance too. And the chaos cascades. Second, he says it's characterized by evil practices. Look, here, here's, here's the truth. The fruit of selfish ambition is doing whatever it takes to get my agenda ahead so that I can become number one. So I'm looking out for number one and climbing the ladder to being number one. And when you do that, when we do that at the expense of God's glory and others' dignity, it is evil. There's no other way to see it. 
upon inspection and reflection, no one will ultimately find that fruit appetizing. Because there's too much destruction in its wake. But godly wisdom, characterized by the good life and humility, presents totally different qualities. It it displays the characteristics of our loving Heavenly Father. People don't have to wonder, where did they get that wisdom? Because when they see it, they know it came from God. It, it 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 puts God on display. Look at verse 17. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving. It is considerate. It is submissive. It is full of mercy and good fruit. It is impartial. It is sincere. Now, let's look at those qualities briefly, one by one. It's pure. You know what? Something that is pure is enlightened and uncontaminated. There is no hint of selfishness or self-promotion. It it is life in bounds and in balance. It's easy to watch and it's fun to be around. Why? Because purity is always trustworthy. You never have to wonder what it's made of. God's wisdom is pure. Second, God's wisdom is peace-loving. It prefers harmony for all. Not just people who look like me or think like me or dress like me. It is peace-loving because it prefers harmony for all. Its its first priority is is not self-satisfaction, but the peace and well-being of all parties. It is peace-loving. Third, it is considerate. What, what does considerate mean? It, it means that I'm considering it. Right? It, it's critical thinking. It's, it's, it's the golden rule guy. It's concerned about how his actions or her actions affect other people. At worst, at worst, the considerate chooses the mutually beneficial path. Fourth, he says it is submissive. Once the way of wisdom is revealed, the wise person submits to that way regardless of what it costs. Regardless of what it costs. A submissive person is going to be dutifully meek, restraining and denying themselves for the good of all others. Remember, God's wisdom brings peace and harmony. And so I'm going to submit, as a follower of God, I'm submitting to Him first. And even if I'm uncomfortable with it, I'm going to submit to that which brings peace and harmony to all. Five, God's wisdom is merciful. Now listen, this is absolutely necessary for this list because envy and selfish ambition are merciless. They're merciless. I have heard over time a lot of people say, you know, I I don't have the gift of mercy as if that excuses us from 
practicing mercy. Listen, mercy is not something you have to feel to employ. Mercy is a choice of the wise. It chooses mercy. The wise choose mercy, whether they feel like it or not. Why? Because we have to remember, wisdom always shows itself. It's merciful. Number six, it it has good fruit. What's the deal with fruit? Fruit is reproductive. At the end of the day, that's the purpose of fruit. Now, we get to enjoy it. But fruit was created to reproduce. When God's wisdom shows up, it is reproduced. God's wisdom lifts the banner for others and challenges them to choose the noble way. It ensures that there is God life all around. It is fruitful. It's good fruit, appetizing and appealing for all. Seventh, God's wisdom is impartial. We, we talked about impartiality in an earlier, from an earlier passage of Scripture. But I, I want you to understand God's wisdom doesn't play favorites. It's not prejudiced. It's not overly emotional in making decisions. God's wisdom examines the facts of the case. It remembers that all men and women are created equally in the image of God. It considers the will and way of God. And then it decides what it's going to do. How it's going to show itself. Based upon God's impartial perspective. God who said, don't look at the outside. Look at the inside. That's what matters. It's impartial. Number eight, it is sincere. Wisdom does not pretend. I know you're all wearing masks, but we don't wear masks in wisdom. Wisdom from God doesn't fake it. It's the real deal. There's no acting. There's no posing. There's no grandstanding. It truly wants God's way for God's honor for all God's creation, not just a privileged few. Wisdom doesn't just pay lip service to liberty and justice for all. It serves it and it does its part to make it happen. It is sincere. James puts all those apples in the bag and he says, wait a minute, here's how we're going to stamp it. We're going to put this in a nutshell. This is what we're going to put on the outside of the bag. The wiser peacemakers. Look at verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Listen, when you're looking for wisdom, Trying to figure out if the wisdom that you are encountering is God's wisdom or worldly wisdom. Look for peace. Look for how it affects the lives of those it intersects with. 
Wise people are peace people because God is the God of peace. Wise people love peace. They sow seeds of peace in peace. Whatever they do is designed to bring peace and harmony because wise people serve the prince of peace who's building a kingdom of peace. Their service for peace. The service of the wise for peace. Should always be showing. Peacemakers, sowing in peace, the seed of peace, produce a harvest of righteousness. You can see it. It makes a difference. It's exactly what we need today. We need the body of Christ to step up to the plate in godly wisdom. And so in peace for peace. Now James started this section with a question. Do you remember what it was? He said, who is wise and understanding among you? Now let's get real. It's those people who show it. It's those people who live it. It's people who are sowing peace. Living the good, compelling life. With humility. For God's glory. Who among us is wise? Now let's just dive a little deeper there for a second. Are you? I mean, the eyes of the Lord are ranging to and fro throughout the earth, looking, looking for a few people, his people, who are committed to wisdom. Are you pursuing it? We'll know them by their fruit. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we know that what our world needs today is peace. I, I, I think it's safe to say, Lord, that in our lifetime... The need has never been greater. The stakes have never been higher. We recognize, Lord, that wisdom is not a race thing. It's not a political thing. It's a God thing. And we know we need to pursue wisdom and put it on display for peace. Lord, I pray. I pray in the strong name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name to which every knee will bow, 
and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And I pray, Father, that I pray for your church that as the body of Christ, we would live with your wisdom. We would bring peace. We would see a harvest of righteousness. Lord, let us let us faithfully, my wisdom, point people to peace. It is in the strong name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Now, listen. God's peace begins with the fear of God. That is that we, we trust that God has given us the truth. And here's the truth. Jesus is the truth. A, a changed life on the journey of wisdom begins with faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. So the first question you need to wrestle with is, have I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to bring us peace and did so by dying a cruel death on the cross and established his victory by being raised from the dead for you? Because he loves us. He is our peace. That's where it starts. And then once having, once we entered the peace of God, we live in the wisdom of God. But it's not haphazard. It's not something we back into. It's something we pray for. It's something that God delivers. If we're faithful to apply it. Will you live with God's wisdom? Father, we're grateful for access to your wisdom. Find us faithful. Help us to be peacemakers in a world that needs your peace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.